Welcome to Parker's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. This week's guest speaker is Dr. Daryl Polk. I want to speak to you this morning about the manager and the master from Luke chapter 16. You can be turning there in your copies of God's Word. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15. And I'm very aware that uh, for some folks, this parable that Jesus shares is a little confusing. I hope to shed a little light on this parable so we understand it better this morning. In this parable, Christ gives what's been called the parable of the shrewd manager. And what I want you to realize is that the actions of the manager and of the master shed light on what it means to live our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then you are, by definition, his disciple. You are a Christ follower. And if you're like me, I don't always follow Christ as I should. I'm not perfect in any way. There's no stretch of imagination that could see me as being perfect. You probably feel the same way. You, like me, probably pray to, hope to follow Christ more, to be more faithful to him. And this passage... It's about this very thing. Let me go ahead and tell you what I'm going to do this morning. This morning, I want us to look at that passage, examine it, and I want to bring out some observations from the parable itself. And then I want us to look at the words of Jesus from verses 9 through 15 where he essentially interprets the parable for us. And then I want to do something. as As a teacher, I long to give people things that matter in their lives. I want to give you something practical that you can take home and use as you consider how you live for Jesus day to day. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. To begin with, though, I want to ask you a question. What are values and why are they so important? What are values? Well, the truth of the matter is, some people, when they hear hear the word values, they immediately jump to maybe politics or to hot-button issues. But I want you to understand what I'm speaking of when I refer to values. I'm speaking of your personal values, those things that guide you in your decisions in your lives, those things that are nearest and dearest to your heart that then inform your life. They, they, they help you to live your life. That's the values that I want to speak about this morning. What are values? Let me give you a, de- a definition. Values are the priorities and motivations that guide our decisions, our actions, and our very lives. Every one of you have a set of values that you live by. You may not have examined your values closely, You may not be aware even of some of the values that you live by. I want to help you to discover those things this morning. You know, sometimes people in other nations, they will print signs in English that are kind of funny because they'll mess up. I heard of a, a sign that sat behind a desk at a Paris hotel and it said, please leave your values at the front desk. Now, I don't know what they were trying to say, but many visitors visiting that's traveling far from home has unfortunately left their values at the front desk. 
It reminds us of that commercial we see all the time. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and we smile and chuckle about that. But can I tell you that that's simply not true? What you do in Vegas will follow you back home. You see, everything that you do in life forms your soul. It shapes your soul. Everything that you choose, every action that you take, it shapes you. You bring it home to your house, to your home, to your marriage, to your other relationships. It's simply not true. A better saying that you've heard of is this. You are what you do when no one can see you. Wouldn't that be true? If we want to know who we are, who we really are, what we really value, all we have to do is see how we act when nobody's watching us. There's truth to that. The truth of what we actually value can be easily discovered if we're willing to examine our priorities and our actions. Our passage this morning, Luke 16, is about much more than the shrewdness of that manager. It's about our values as Christ's disciples and how we have to take our values and align them with Christ and his kingdom. We know that this passage is not really about one's shrewdness because in verse 15, Jesus summarizes his explanation about the passage in saying this, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Let's read the passage together, beginning in verse 1, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So we called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, People will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Nine hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred and fifty. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it eight hundred. 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, 
But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Jesus, in this passage, I want you to understand what he's doing. He's contrasting the values of uh, God, God's values, with the values that the world would teach us to love and desire, the things that are valuable to the world. He's contrasting God's values with worldly values. So you need to understand that this passage, first and foremost, is about having right values so that you live your life for God accordingly. It addresses our worldview as disciples. What is a worldview? A worldview is how you see yourself within the world and how you relate to the things of the world. We all have a worldview, and we all have an understanding of who we are and what we're to be about in this world. And we also have chosen how to relate to the things of the world. That's your worldview. Well, for the last several chapters, I want want you to keep this in mind. For the last several chapters, Jesus has been confronting the religious leaders of his day. And here, he exposes their true values for all to see. Now, why does he do this? Because he is challenging his disciples then and there, and his disciples today. That's you and my, you and I. If we're a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, we're his disciple. He's challenging us to evaluate our values. He wants us to examine our values, to take a hard look at our values. So, first, let's let me make a, just a few observations important observations about the parable itself. A few of them I've put up on the screen for you. But here are some things that I want you to note about the parable itself. First of all, there's no doubt that this manager has cheated his master. How do we know that? Because the master says, I'm going to fire you in the morning. And then the manager assumes it's definitely going to happen. He doesn't argue about cheating in any way. He has cheated his master in some way. And the manager is removed from his position. Now, why is he removed from his position? Because he has betrayed the trust of his master. See, a manager, his very job was to take care of those things that belong to his master. And he had not done that. He had done the opposite. He had used the things of his master to serve himself. He had betrayed his master's trust. That's why he's being removed. Now, this Manager is a shrewd, he's a very uh, resourceful, clever guy. And so he immediately comes up with another dishonest scheme on the spot. He quickly says, I know what I'm going to do. I know I can't dig, I'm not strong enough. You know, I can't do some things, but I I know what I can do. This is what I'm going to do. It's another dishonest scheme. He decides to forgive or reduce the debts of those who owe his master. Why does he do it? To curry favor with those debtors. He knows he's about to lose his income. He's not going to be able to take care of himself and his family. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a favor for them so they'll do a favor for me later. And this is important because I want you to understand that his motives have not changed in this. His motives are the same. He's still looking out for number one. He's still serving himself. He's not serving his master 
He is serving himself. He continues to have the same character and the same values as before. So what do we do about this in Scripture where it says that the master commends him for his shrewdness? Well, the first thing to note is this, is that shrewdness, that biblical word in the Bible, connotates, in most cases, cunning. Cunning. It's being slick and sly and working to get ahead, that sort of thing. In many cases, that's what it's referring to, and that's what it's referring to here. I want you to understand that the master is not condoning the dishonest acts of this manager, the acts that were taking advantage of him. That would be crazy for him to do that. That would be like praising somebody for cheating you. You wouldn't do that. The master isn't doing it either. He's giving him basically a backhanded compliment. Kind of like when you say to somebody, you sly dog, you. That's what he's doing here. In other words, Jesus is not saying to us that the manager is a positive example for us. He's saying that the manager is a negative example for us. Something that we can learn from and something that we are warned against. Now, what's the proof that that's how we should understand that compliment, that commendation? You notice what the master does not do. He does not restore the manager to his position. So we understand this, that this is a dishonest guy from beginning to end. Now we can look at the words of Jesus, verses 9 and following, where he essentially interprets his parable for us. Jesus, when he teaches, he always wants you to understand. He wants you to grow in your understanding of God's truth. And so he explains some things beginning in verse 9. He confirms this in verse 15 again, that this is about our values, what we value highly, and making sure that our values are aligned with Christ and His kingdom. It reminds me of a book, a book entitled, You Are What You Love, by James Smith. This theologian, this writer, James Smith, he writes the book to emphasize that we have to evaluate our values as disciples. We have to examine, take a hard look at the values that motivate us and cause us to act in the way that we do. Uh, James, he borrows something from Augustine, that great theologian of the past, where Augustine said that sin is the cause of disordered loves. Now, that sounds strange to us. Loves? What does Augustine mean by that? What he means is our desires, our values, our priorities. They're all the same thing. Those are the things that drive us. We act always according to our true values. And so what Augustine says is that which we love most shapes us most. You are what you love. You become what you value. So our loves, our values need to be rightly ordered. So here's some spiritual truths from Jesus' words beginning in verse 9. Just three things I want to point out to you this morning. The first is this. Disordered values, values that are in the wrong order of priority, cause us to serve self rather than God and his people. This parable 
It's about our values. Again, we must align them to Christ and His kingdom. And in the parable, the manager is not serving his master faithfully. He's being faithless. faithless. He is serving self, taking advantage of his master for his own desires, for his own pleasures. Guess what? We can do the same thing. Our flesh and this world tempt us to turn away from Christ and his lordship over our lives. They tempt us to serve self, to serve our desires, to live for lesser things. You and I can make the same mistake as the manager and still be a believer. You need to understand it's easy to stray away from keeping Christ first in our lives. It's easy to do that. And we have this as a, as a warning for us. Jesus instructs us in verse 9 to use the resources he has entrusted into our care for eternal impact. Why? Well, it's really simple. The things of this world are passing away. They're passing away. How do we know that to be true? Well, remember Jesus back in Matthew 6, 19. He said the following. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, listen. The things of this world are impermanent. They're temporary. They're temporal. They're not eternal in nature. Why would you want to invest yourself and what you love and your actions and, 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 and your resources into something that's passing away? And then Paul, he builds upon this. And this is a less known passage. I want you to listen to what he says because it's kind of shocking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29-31, he says this. The time is short. Remember, he said there are lives but a vapor, right? The time is short. Those who buy something should live as if it were not theirs to keep. Did you hear that? Those who buy something should live as if it were not theirs to keep. But I like the second part even better. He says, those who use the things of the world should live as if not engrossed. And then he ends by saying, for this world in its present form is passing away. How often do you and I live engrossed, as though we're engrossed with the things of this world? We're concerned about every last little thing except the things that will last forever. Can I tell you, that's living beneath the call. <laughs> that Jesus wants so much more for you and for me than to live for lesser things. He wants us to live for the eternal and not be engrossed with the temporal. You see, you and I have been blessed by God for a purpose. Oh, yes, He blesses us. Yes, He wants us to use His good gifts that He gives us to bless ourselves, our family, take care of us, and so forth. But you need to understand, underlining this is a deeper truth. When God blesses you, He blesses you so that you might be a blessing to others and to Him. That's why God blesses us the way that He does. Jesus is calling us to bless, or to, I'm sorry, to use our blessings to do what? To gain friends for eternity. In other words, you and I can impact eternity by using our resources to bless others so that we might introduce them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you see it? You see what God has done? He's blessed you, but you better relate to those things properly. 
And you need to understand that those blessings aren't meant just to bless you, but to bless others so that you can have an eternal impact. My prayer has been for some time, God, use me to change lives and impact eternity. That's what we all should want and desire. That's what we all should seek to be for the Lord. The second thing is this. Jesus is searching for disciples who will prove trustworthy. We see that in verses 10 through 12. Jesus here contrasts those who have proven themselves worthy with those who have proven themselves to be unworthy as his disciples. Now the manager, the manager, again, it's a negative example for us and a warning. In other words, we read about, for instance, the Old Testament characters of the Bible, and we see some of the things, the failures of, of David and Solomon and Samson. And those things are there for warnings to us. Jesus isn't saying everything you see another believer do, or even one of these uh, Old Testament saints of old, is what you should do. We need to learn from both their strengths and their weaknesses, and we need to learn from their failures. So this manager is a warning to us. Jesus wants us to be good stewards who are faithful in what he has entrusted to us. And here's the important thing. You notice in verse 2 that the manager is held accountable to the master. You and I need to keep in mind that one day we will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and give an account. For how we use our lives and our resources for him and his kingdom and his glory. Remember the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12? Remember, he's a wealthy farmer and, and uh, he has this extraordinary bumper crop one season. But his barns are already full. And so he says to himself, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down these small barns. I'm going to build bigger barns so I can fill those barns. With all this excess. But then he says, why? So that I can relax and enjoy these blessings. He says that to himself, not knowing that that very night, God is going to require his life from him. And he's called a fool in that passage. Not because he was rich, but because he tried to hold on to that which never really belonged to him in the first place. We need to keep those things in mind or we're going to make mistakes and we're not going to follow Christ faithfully. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 19 through 20. He says, you are not your own. You have been bought at a price. And you need to understand when Christ bought you through his sacrificial death on the cross and when you surrendered your life and your heart to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that he gets all of you. Everything you have belongs to him. Everything that you are and everything that you have is his. Dr. Temple was the first pastor I ever served under in a church. He was a great guy, a, a wonderful senior saint. And he had a great perspective about the things God has blessed him with. One day he was driving his little car. He drove this little old blue, almost like a bug. And he was driving this car and he stopped at a stoplight and the car behind him rear-ended and of course it shocked him and he got out frustrated and a little angry and he walked back to the back of the car but he didn't speak to the other driver who was getting out he simply looked at the bumper and said out loud lord 
Look what he did to your car. Isn't that great? Isn't that supposed to be the attitude we adopt as Christians? That these blessings are lent to us so we might serve Christ. Christ's sacrifice wasn't just so we might be blessed, but so that we might be a blessing to others. We might prove trustworthy. And if we're going to prove trustworthy, we must understand that all we have is His, lent to us, so we might serve Him. And then the third, we choose to what or to whom we offer our devotion and our allegiance. We see that in verses 13 through 15. Can I tell you the truth? Every person serves some master. Every person serves some master. And it doesn't matter whether it's their boss. It doesn't matter whether it's some cause. It doesn't matter if it's themselves. Everybody serves some master. But Christ says that we cannot serve him and another master simultaneously. That is what the manager tried to do. I mean, he tried to keep his job, serve his master, and then use him to serve himself. It didn't work, did it? And it won't work for us. By not choosing devotion, the manager has chosen to hate his master. I want you to think about that. By not choosing devotion, the manager has chosen to hate his master. Can I tell you that that's what we do? Sometimes we choose to allow the things of this world to eclipse Christ and our devotion to Him and our allegiance to Him. And by so doing, maybe without even meaning to, we have despised the one who gave His life for us. We must be very careful, or we'll find ourselves in the same place as this manager. The Pharisees, Jesus condemns. Why? Their love of money and, and, and of influence. You know, Jesus says, you, you really care about what people think about you. Their love of money and influence have revealed their true values, priorities, and character for everyone to see. Jesus helps people to see the, the facts of what's hidden in the heart of these Pharisees. Christ demands our wholehearted devotion to him. And he deserves it, doesn't he? Doesn't he deserve our full devotion? Shouldn't he? Uh, 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 shouldn't we decide that we're going to hold nothing back from him as our Savior and our Master? That's what he expects. But these religious leaders, they've used their spiritual authority to serve themselves and even to oppose Christ. Their allegiance was to self and not to God. Well... Those are some spiritual truths you can see from what Jesus said. Can I give you something practical to take home with you this morning? I want to give you something you can use every day. Is that okay? Let me do that. Okay. The practical takeaway is from the parable of the shrewd manager. Because it reveals to us what has come to be called five capitals. Capitals. Now, what I mean by capital as in the sense of... Uh, resources that we have five capitals particularly the resources that god gives every man woman and child so that he can use them she can use them in his service there are five capitals revealed here in this parable mike bream in his book uh, building a disciple in culture suggests in order of importance 
to these capitals. And so I'm going to share them in order of priority. And the first is this. Each of us has spiritual capital. Spiritual capital. Remember what, uh, what Jesus says here, that we are to love and serve God and not money. You and I are to love and to serve God. Not ourselves, not some other cause. Our most important capital is our relationship with God through Christ. Either God and Jesus are first or we are enslaved to another master. You need to examine your relationship with God. A lot of Christians, they'll be asked, hey, what's your priorities? They'll usually say, first thing is God. Is it really? Really, truly, does your life prove that to be a fact? The way you live your life, your priorities in life. Is God really number one? He should be. That's your spiritual capital. But like it is relational capital. You remember what Jesus says here in verse 9? He commands us to gain friends for ourselves. We're to gain friends for ourselves. In other words, like unto the first, relational capital is vitally important. In fact, it's the second most important capital or resource you have in your life. Your relationship with others are vitally important if you're to be the disciple that Jesus wants you to be. Loving God must be accompanied by loving our neighbor. How do we know these first two are the most important capitals that we have? Well, look at the great commandment. Jesus asked, what's the great commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, strength. And love your neighbor like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's also the Ten Commandments. The first four are about our relationship with God, and the rest are about our relationship with others. In other words, relationships, particularly with God and with others, are the most important resources we have in our lives. And if God is not in the right place as priority number one, then what will happen is all of our relationships will suffer. And our life will suffer as a result. Spiritual capital, relational capital, intellectual capital. Here we do learn from the example of the manager where he asks himself in verse 3, what shall I do now? You see, when you encounter God's truth, you have to ask the same question. When you examine this passage, you have to say, what does God want me to do with this? How should this change my life? How can I apply this to my life? That's your intellectual capital. God doesn't want you to be shrewd. He wants you to live wisely. And you can't do that unless you adopt the mind of Christ. And as we adopt the mind of Christ, God allows us to employ our intellects in his service rather than service to some lesser thing. So you got your spiritual capital, your relational capital, you've got your intellectual capital. Fourth, you've got your physical capital. Now, the manager said to himself, as he considered his options, said, I'm too weak to dig, right? But remember what Jesus said in verse 13? No one can serve two masters. Can I tell you the truth? You were saved for a purpose. And God wants you to live according to that purpose. But so often we do not because our values are disordered. Our priorities are disordered. You were saved to serve. Ephesians 2 says, you were saved for good works, which God had appointed for you to do from before the foundation of the world. What you need to understand is this. You're not saved by good works. You are saved for good works. Each of you has a to-do list that God has written for your life. And the question is, do we really want to know 
what he's put on our list to do. We have physical capital. Uh, God gives us this life, this body, so we can use it as a tool for his kingdom and his glory. But we got to choose to utilize our time and energy for eternal purposes. Otherwise, we're going to put all our time and our energy and all our effort into things that are passing away. Physical resources. And the final is financial resources. I want you to know from this parable that nowhere in the parable does Jesus condemn, or in his interpretation, condemn wealth or possessions. He just doesn't do that. He, like in another passage here, reveals that love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's our love for money. In other words, if we don't relate rightly to our money, our financial resources, and our possessions, we're going to be in trouble. Someone has said, sometimes you get money, sometimes it gets you. Isn't that true? we got to be careful. It will happen to us. We must see wealth and our possessions from a kingdom, an eternal perspective. If we're going to relate to them properly, wealth and possessions, when God blesses you with those things, he blesses them, of course, to care for you, but also so that you might be a blessing to others. If we don't have that perspective, we will find our financial capital ruling over us. Well, a lot of people, like I said before, assume they know what their values are. But Christ here calls you and me to evaluate our values, to examine them. And here's how you do that. The truth of the matter is this, that what you do reveals what's in your heart. If we'll take an honest look at how we are living our lives, we can discover our true values. Because you're acting out of your values. You're living according to your values. Right now, if someone wants to know what your values are, all they have to do is watch you closely. And they'll see those values. Our decisions, actions, and use of resources that God has entrusted into our care reveal our values and priorities. The question that's left for us this morning is this. Will we examine our lives? Will we take a hard look with the help of our Lord at our lives to answer the question, what are our true values and priorities in life? Would you allow Christ, as you examine those things, to alter, to change your values and your priorities so that they align with Him and His kingdom and His will for your life? Will you do that this morning? We're going to have a time of invitation and I'm going to ask uh, Brother Mac to come stand out, down forward and, and the rest of the staff to come forward and help with counseling. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word. Unless you act upon what God is teaching you, it will be in vain. So my question is this, is God calling you to make a, a new commitment this morning? Maybe you're a Christian and you would say to me, Daryl, I think if I look hard at my life, I might need to make some changes. That's okay. We all find ourselves in that position, the Lord always accepts back to him the repentant, those who are willing to change and follow his lordship and his leadership. Would you be willing to surrender your priorities and values to him today? Or maybe you've got another decision you need to make. Maybe you need to join this church or, or surrender to ministry. Or maybe you would say, Daryl, I don't, I don't know that I have a real relationship 
with God. He can't be my first priority because i got something between me and him. I've got sin in my life. I need forgiveness and I need salvation. He could do that this morning. Whatever God tells you to do this morning, whatever it might be, would you respond to him? Will you stand, please? I'm going to ask you just to listen to the Lord. Be quiet in your spirit. Allow him to speak into your life and your heart. Allow him to do his work in and through you this morning. That concludes this week's message by Dr. Daryl Polk. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.